section thirty four of mrs diamond this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org read by ruhi huck mrs diamond by anne isabella thackeray ritchie book three chapter ten saying good-bye farewell thou art too dear for my possessing and like enough thou knowest thine estimate the charter of thy worth gives thee releasing my bonds in there are all determinate mr bagginall was also of the farewell party they were to breakfast at a certain old-fashioned cafe near the pantheon which du pare had recommended and to adjourn to the louvre for one last morning in the galleries which already seemed so familiar that last day in paris the lights the streets the cafe with its shining tables and deep windows and criss-cross shadows the blazing garden without long haunted susy who was destined to live so many of these hours again and again in other scenes and other surroundings she had met max with an effort trying to be calm alas her effort to be wise and calm only revived for him the memory of that stiff doll-like susanna who used to seem so meaningless once now he knew better he did not think her meaningless on the contrary he attached too much meaning to her coldness as they all sat at their table with the snowy cloth by the grated window mr bagginall and joe kept up the ball tempy was too happy susanna was too sad to talk very much i shall be coming over to see my people in a few weeks said the attache i hope i shall find you at crowbeck mrs diamond that is all right said joe you must come and see us and you too du pare when shall you be in england again but du pare did not respond very warmly he felt some jar some constraint in this semblance of a meeting i don't like making plans he said abruptly plans are for landed proprietors and diplomats we working men are obliged to take things as they come here come the cutlets cried bagginall who thought max's sallies not in the best taste susy too was vaguely vexed by his roughness things mended a little when they reached the louvre the work of great men which makes a home for us in strange places is often not unlike a living presence influencing us just as some people do calling something that is our best selves into life there is something in the highest art which is like nature bringing people into a different state of being sweeping away the reticences the hesitations of the different grades of life the different manners and ways of men and women are realities in their way but they scarcely count when the greater truths prevail max walked ahead suddenly more at home and more at ease he led the way from room to room from one eventful picture to another and yet all the time as he went along the voice of that night before was haunting him still and even while he was speaking he sometimes broke off abruptly to listen to it she is going from you this voice still said she might be yours she might remain perhaps some vein of english blood had taught max to feel for women some deeper more tender sentiment than the passionate ferment of romantic admiration and excitement which seems to play an all-important part in france if we are to judge by its yellow and bilious literature some gentler and more noble instinct was in his heart 
than that strange emotion which according to these same observers belongs to any one but to a wife to a passing dream to a flaunting venality whereas according to these same records for the mothers of their homes for the companions of their life a family lawyer's acquiescence their parents their grandparents approbation is to be considered first and foremost human nature instinctive feeling last and least but max was but half a frenchman after all as he walked along by susie's side through the long galleries they came down the glowing pictures into the cool stony halls below and passed from one century to another in a few lingering steps the tombs of egyptian kings and warriors lined their way then came the tokens and emblems of the great roman empire with all its pomp of funeral rite followed by the bland and lovely emblems of the greeks those stately figures still treading the earth in some immortal fashion while the present waves of life flow on washing away the relics of the past as they flow max looked at the woman he loved as she stood before the statue of some bygone nymph the young man who was an artist as well as a lover made a mental note of the two the stony impassive nymph the noble human being so wistfully radiant susie felt his eyes upon and as some feel the sunshine kindling their chilled veins so to her unacknowledged perplexities that bright odd glance part sympathetic part scrutinizing seemed to bring reassurance and to give life to her very soul that one moment was the best of all those moments almost immediately a look a something a nothing seemed to come between them again long after an offort sign maxwell had a great success and was for a time to be seen in the window of every art shop in london it was very slight but also very complete the stony statue was faithfully copied its grace and solemn life were repeated as it stood upon its pedestal with its finger on its lips and a woman also draped in flowing folds also bareheaded and with a strange likeness to the marble stood with innocent eyes gazing up to the stone that recalled her who once was a woman too who was now only a goddess but still somehow whispering of the beauty and of the love of two thousand years ago mr bagginal loath to go had to say good-bye presently and return to his embassy his departure scattered them all susie felt a strange impatience of this long-drawn leave-taking she wanted to get it over and to escape from tempe's eyes and joe's she was not herself her nerves were irritated and the restraint she put upon herself only added to this nervous impatience shall we walk home through the garden said mrs diamond with an effort in a stiff and formal manner and without a word du pare turned and led the way to the entrance gates the great doors let a blaze of life into the cold marble galleries the cocked hat of the suisse was resplendent and reflected the fine weather as it flashed in the doorway the great place without looked like a triumph of summer the rearing stone horses and chariots rose high against the deep blue of the sky short black shadows marked the arches and the pedestals and susie breathed deep as she passed out followed by joe and tempe opposite was the piazza of the louvre where the lovely lights were floating from pier to pier while high overload one or two diaphanous clouds were mounting in the air as they came out of the shade of the portico they seemed almost blinded by the glaring sun the place was burning with scorching heat 
flashed from every arch and pinnacle and window it is a furnace said tempy hadn't we better wait another hour in the gallery i have to go home susy said hurriedly tempy i cannot stay longer i have to pack don't come you will find me at home joe will come with me but tempy clutched joe fiercely by the wrist she did not want to be left alone with du Parc in the gallery the heat seemed to confuse them all susy found herself crossing the burning place alone as she thought but when she looked around du Parc was striding by her side while she hastened to the more shady gardens of the tuileries it was the ordeal by fire through which they were passing everything seems on fire said susy looking about see we shall escape over there and she pointed with her hand the young man was unconcerned by the heat and chiefly conscious of the cool shadow of her presence he remembered her words and her action one day long after remembered them for an instant amidst the flash of fiercer conflict than with that which stirred him now and yet at the time he scarcely seemed listening when she spoke and now and again forgot her presence in the sudden realization of what her absence would be to him he had imagined once that she understood him cared something for him it must have been a mistake how quietly she spoke of her departure these englishwomen are made of tougher stuff than a poor frenchman is aware of max thought bitterly the sentry in his shady box stared at mrs diamond and her companion quickly passing in the burning silence they reached the gardens almost deserted in the midday heat if it had not been for tempy's jealous words the night before susanna might have parted from max naturally with regret sadly but without this cruel pang this self-reproach as it was she could not trust herself to be sorry she must take leave coldly she must not allow herself to feel then she looked up suddenly just once to remember him by when he, she was gone when this cold unmeaning good-bye had been said and she saw du Parc's keen brown face turned upon her with a look which seemed somehow to stab her and she started as if she had been hurt what is it said du Parc. what is it madame susy's heart began to flutter oddly she could not answer her face had been pale before was now burning with her self-betrayal was the final decision to be made already was there no escape from it it seemed to her as if tempy had cruelly taken down the shutters and let bright daylight into a darkened room now for the first time susy seemed to know that the daylight was something so clear so beautiful that all other lights and flickering tapers were but as shadows before it susanna's changing looks touched max with some odd mixture of pity and alarm he had been angry with her for her coldness all the morning but this was no cold indifference had she too felt this estrangement if it was so he forgave her took her into his confidence once more began to speak naturally yes madame this vile good-bye has come already he said and yet too late for me good-byes come most easily to those who like you take everything with them almost everything he repeated with a sigh i cannot pretend to know how it all may seem to you we belong to different worlds it is best we should part ah you could not face poverty he went on suddenly you are not made for sufferings you belong to the wealthy happy placid people not to us who are struggling for our lives susy felt hurt by his strange tone what do you mean she said i have been poor too you have been poor he said looking hard at her and smiling coldly but you have never known what it is to suffer not to be bound and helpless watching others day by day 
condemned by their race and dying from sheer incapacity for the struggle of life pass on pass on he said almost fiercely susy's eyes filled up suddenly and again her tears softened his mood you have courage and you have heart but you cannot help these things any more than i can he went on more gently to have known you is a possession to those you leave behind when i remember you after you are gone it will be with a thought of peace in the midst of noise and confusion susy as many a woman before and after her stood listening scarcely taking in the words only the sense of the moment all she knew for certain was that they were parting that he was there still that he was happy and presently she should see him no more they had reached one of the stone benches of the tuileries which stood in the shade of a tree almost opposite a little gate that led to the rue du dauphine i must go said susanna speaking very quietly and he nodded and yet detained her absently holding her hand which she had given him ah yes he said suddenly dropping it it is indeed time we parted she did not dare to answer or to comfort him she did not dare tell him that for her too the parting had come too late good-bye she said still in the same quiet everyday manner as she moved away slowly he sat down upon the bench the time had come as she had known it would and she walked on as she drilled herself to do with what sad steps she climbed the street none but herself could tell she walked till she reached the door of the hotel where the water was standing he asked her some trivial questions about her bill and an omnibus she looked at him without understanding what he said then she mounted the wooden stairs up and down which they had so happily clattered on their way in and out she might have been kinder this was what she kept thinking over and over again she might have been kinder how sad and stern he looked was it her fault she had only thought of herself not of him in all she left unsaid every sound every touch seemed to jar upon her nerves and to reproach her as she opened the sitting-room door she was met by a loud discordant crash little phrasie was passing the long hot morning by thumping on the keys of the piano in tune to her nurse's packing ice playing says phrasie triumphant oh phrasie phrasie don't make such a noise said her mother irritably stooping over the child and trying to lift her down from the chair i's not done protested phrasie struggling leave off phrasie susy repeated and the child looked up surprised by her mother's tone she ceased struggling instantly mamma said she are i so very naughty is that why you's crying and then susy found that her own eyes were full of tears she had been selfish and unjust to phrasie as she had been to dupark wilkins came in hearing the discussion also heated and cross with packing and asking one question after another about her overflowing boxes susy could scarcely force herself to listen du pare's wild sad looks were before her eyes his bitter words in her heart she might have had the courage to speak the truth to him she might have been kinder was it even yet too late phrasie darling she said suddenly you may play a little bit longer i have forgotten something wilkins i shall come back i i am not feeling very well i must leave the packing to you and before wilkins could ask another question she was gone again hurrying as she went madame madame cried auguste flying after her with his napkin but susy did not turn and only hastened out into the street tying the long ribbon of her silk cloak as she went she thought she heard her name called she would not look back 
she must see him once more if only to leave him more happy if only to tell him that she was not ungrateful for his friendship it seemed to her as if he was wanting her as if it was her least duty to go to him say to him ah you do me injustice it is not that i am rich and prosperous and heartless but because i am poor and have others to think of others depending on me that i leave you yet others to whom she was bound by a thousand ties but in her secret heart she knew that never again would she feel for any one what she felt for this stranger surely two less propitiously matched people never came together than this man and this woman who seemed to suit each other so well she tender practical humble and yet exacting as different people are who are not sure of themselves and require constant convictions and reassurance he reserved overconfident with a courageous power of self-command perhaps somewhat blunted to the wants and pains of others by circumstance for him the real material wants of life existed chiefly the hunger for affection the thirst after sympathy was a fancy not worth considering he was suffering now but he also knew perhaps better than susy did that his pain would pass in time he was still sitting on the bench he had not moved since she left him he was not conscious of the minutes which had passed he loved her he knew it whether or not she loved him seemed to be a secondary thing a man loves a woman longs for response max had not stirred except to light a cigar for a few moments he had gloomily puffed at the smoke then he took it out of his mouth and sat holding it between his fingers then he heard her quick step advancing he did not look up or turn his head but when she came close up and sat down on the bench beside him he turned it all he was all changed susy thought it was as if an east wind had passed over some landscape she was not shy now she was not thinking of herself any more only of him and her sweet eager face was lighted with solicitude and kindness won't you speak to me she said after a moment forgetting all her dignity all her gentle pride i want to say a real good-bye since we must say good-bye i came back for i could not bear to part as we did just now i am like you i am not free to think only of my own happiness i i wanted to tell you this i have my mother my brothers my children depending on me i should forfeit all means to help them if i married again i too have my duty i want to hear you say you forgive me she went on more and more agitated she spoke in her pretty english french he was silent and she turned very pale as she realized how little her words must mean to him he looked up with dull eyes and spoke at last i have nothing to forgive he said i do not complain you have judged wisely you are perfectly justified there is nothing to regret nothing to forgive oh max she said reproachfully and consciously calling him by his name when you speak to me like this how can i answer you how can i feel you are my friend what am i to say to make you understand she wrung her hands with sudden pain for indeed his pain seemed to her harder to bear than her own his happiness seemed to her to matter far more than hers ever could matter she felt herself in some way accountable for this man's happiness the thought was almost more than she could bear but he would not help her yes i understand well enough he answered and you have also to understand me he continued in a hard commonplace voice don't you know that graves have to be dug do you expect me to grimace and make phrases while i am digging a grave then he looked up at last and his eyes met hers for a moment
then still dully and wearily he rose from the bench your stepfather is coming he said and his family i cannot stay here any longer and as susy looked up in that bitter moment she too saw marney advancing and the little boys running towards her and her mother following through the iron gate by which she herself had come into the gardens but a moment before max du pare had got up deliberately without hurrying he stood for an instant still looking at her then he took off his hat without a word and turned and walked away the clocks were clanging four o'clock he crossed the stiff shadow of the orange tree and with long swinging steps reached the shade of the avenues beyond he was gone she had longed to help him she had only disgraced herself she had done nothing for him nothing nothing was it the sun's heat sickened her was it some overpowering sense of shame of hopeless regret that seemed to burn into her very heart some children who had been watching eagerly from behind the orange tree came running up and established themselves upon the vacant bench and began to play an eager game with stones and sticks while the marney party cheerfully closed round susy the little boys were especially loud in their demonstrations sister augustus told us you were here didn't you hear us calling we knew we should find you i am only come for one moment just to take leave susanna said marney with extra heartiness advancing with both hands extended but here is your mother for the rest of the day is not that to park going off i may as well catch him up well take care of yourself my dear girl and don't forget to write susy was still in a sort of dream she scarcely returned her stepfather's easy salutations she met her mother but without a smile the poor woman had lingered behind had she guessed something of what had happened mrs marney more than once looked anxiously at her daughter as they walked back together to the hotel as the day went by the elder woman seemed silently to be asking susy's forgiveness she took up her daughter's hand and kissed it don't mamma said susanna pulling her hand away all the same she was glad to have her mother near her until the moment of departure came they sat side by side on the old red sofa saying little but grateful to be together once they heard a man's step in the passage outside and susy wondered whether max after all had come back again for a few last minutes but it was only mr bagginall with some flowers and bonbons for frazy then the train carried them all away and susy looked from her sleeping child to joe peacefully nodding in his corner to tempy sitting absorbed and radiant and then something within her suddenly cried out in deep despairing protest in tune to the wheels of fate as they carried her away to have so much yet to be so utterly disheartened and alone to have felt as if the world itself could scarce contain her happiness and now it seemed to her that the worst of all was yet to come what would he be doing who would he be talking to of what would he be thinking it was well for her that she did not know what the future had in store end of section 34